So you've heard what some people say about life after death. Let's see what Scripture says. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. encourage you to follow along with me. This is the Word of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Let me pray. Lord, we pray that you'll bless the reading of your word this morning and the preaching of it as well. Use me and all my brokenness to communicate something that is beautiful and true. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. We are glad you are with us this morning. My name is Andrew Conrad. I'm the senior pastor here. I realize today that, that you've come and that you're excited and happy for Easter, as am I. Uh, and you may be here for a number of different reasons. You might be visiting family from out of town. It might be like, I, I feel like it's just some dark times and I need some hope, so I'm going to church. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're curious. Maybe you're committed. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm glad you're here. And this passage gives hope for everybody. I was looking online uh, on social media this week, and I don't remember who this was, so I can't give credit to where credit's due, but this post this week was, Conversations with Kids Continued. This is what it said. Me, yeah, I have some questions I look forward to, uh, to asking Jesus when I get to meet him. What about you? Do you have any questions you want to ask him? Jack, I want to ask him how he respawned after he died. Me, how he responded? Jack, no. How he respawned, like in a video game. Wait, that's not the word for that, is it? It's funny. Do you respond? 
If you're responding, are you responding into a good life or are you responding, kids, into the middle of a battle zone where you're just going to get wasted again right away? Like, what's going to happen? And are you responding into some kind of virtual reality or is an afterlife different than that? What does it look like? What are we to know? What I want to talk to you today about is I want you to see that the resurrection is your hope for eternity It's the thing you long for. It's your hope for eternity. And I want you to see that it is your hope for today. So, the resurrection is hope for real life in a body after death for eternity. The people of Corinth, whom Paul is writing to here, and many in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, um, believed in some kind of resurrection, but not what Paul is talking about. That's why in verse 12 he says, why do some say there's no resurrection? What they would have believed in would, would be something different. Probably an active spiritual existence where memories carry on, consciousness in some way persists, but it's without a body. You exist spiritually. I mean, think of, of, of the Greek kind of worldview of dualism, right? Um, or the yin and the yang even, right? Or if you want to put it into common Hollywood parlance, the force in Star Wars, right, there's the dark side of the force and there's a force and it's always going on and always battling. And so there's this kind of like, yeah, Yoda exists even though he's dead, but he's kind of in this conscious state and maybe you can connect to him kind of thing. That's similar to what they would have thought. And Paul says, but that's not a resurrection. Paul is insisting here in this passage that life after death is in the body because they saw and touched the risen Jesus. It's in the body. Not just spirit, not just fluffy existence floating on cottonelle toilet paper as they go in the clouds. You know, that whole theory of heaven and angels and stuff and sitting on toilet paper in the clouds, that should go where toilet paper goes. Because that ain't true. What Paul is telling us is it's a bodily resurrection. And he makes this argument for it. And I'm going to run through it real quickly. First, he says in verse 15, we can put these verses on the screen. He says, if there's no bodily resurrection, then they are liars and false witnesses. And he's, why would we die for something we are lying about? That doesn't make any sense. If I'm lying, I'll just be like, nope, sorry, let me live. We, I don't want to die. But Paul and Peter and most of Jesus' uh, apostles died for it. Secondly, he goes on in verse 19. He says, if there's no bodily resurrection, then we end up being the most pitied people on earth. In other words, he's saying if the afterlife is either actual nothingless, there's no, no afterlife, or an unconscious, semi-conscious kind of eternal state in some respawned world, then he's like, who gives a bleep? What does it matter? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity is worthless. We'll still have tragedy, we still have war, we still have disease. What good is it? But he goes on thirdly in, in verses 25 and 26 and says if there's no bodily resurrection, then what, what is also true is death is actually not destroyed. But what the scriptures keep saying is that God will be victorious over death. That's his whole point. But if, vict- if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then death is not destroyed. Heaven ends up not being the reunica- reunification of the body and soul forever without sin, sorrow, sickness, and death. All that goes away. But Scripture says that is in fact our hope. Again, in point four, he's making in verse 30. If there's no bodily resurrection, then the apostles are fools for facing danger, jail, and death. In other words, he's saying, why 
if there's no bodily resurrection, why would we risk, risk all this suffering to our bodies now? If I'm just going to exist spiritually afterwards, then I'm going to do whatever I want with my body and not suffering. In verse 32, his fifth point, if there's no bodily resurrection, then let's just get right to it. Let's party. <laughs> like, if the dead are not raised, let's eat, drink, because tomorrow we die. Who's throwing the party tonight? That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if there's no resurrection, what do you have to live for other than now the moment? That's it. And that's why he says it's so significant that Jesus rose from the dead in body. And he actually says in verse 29, this is what you hope for. Notice what he's saying here. People are saying, now if there's no resurrection, or he's saying, now if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? What he is saying here is important. He is not promoting an idea that you should actually get baptized for people who have died. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that's what they were doing. What he is proving to them is you actually hope the resurrection is true. You want life after death. It's why you're getting baptized for people who are dying. It proves that you want this. Our society craves this. We crave life. We want to live longer. We want um, to be younger looking. We want to have better fitness. We want bodies that look good. Plastic surgery, hip replacements, cryogenic experiments to reverse aging. Right? We are craving life. You know this. I know this. It's what we want. I was having a conversation a number of years ago with a friend, Ricky. He believed in uh, nirvana. So he believed in the afterlife, that once he would die, that he would go to this next state, this, uh, and eventually, if he was good enough, reach nirvana. Not, he had to be good enough in each life and progress and progress, and then finally he would reach nirvana. And once he reached nirvana, then he would exist in this unconscious, eternal place without stress, without pain, and it would therefore be peaceful, finally peace. And so we talked about that, and I said, man, that is something wonderful and beautiful to be at peace. And I asked him, I said, Ricky, what do you enjoy most about life here and now? He thought about it, and he said, not long. And he said, really, I think most is my, my family, my kids, my friends. And so I said, that's wonderful, and that's beautiful. I said, wouldn't you want that kind of joy only better without any of that pain and with, that, with all the peace that could be with it? Wouldn't you want that to continue in the next life? And he said, yeah, he agreed. He admitted his view was simply an escape, like respawning in some kind of spiritual place where there would no, be no more suffering, but, but he admitted there would be no real joy in his afterlife. It's a different view, right? What Paul is saying, what Scripture teaches is what Jesus did in rising from the dead is saying, it's bodily. It's a new heaven and a new earth. We live in it. We enjoy it. It is peaceful, but it's also joyful and experiential, not semi-conscious or unconscious. And you say, well, maybe that's true. I ask you, wouldn't you want there to be joy in the next life? Isn't that what you would hope for, that there would finally be happiness and peace? Where people would get along and love one another well? Where all things would be reconciled and set straight? Have you put your faith in Christ? Because this is what he offers. If you haven't done that, do it today. Why not make today 
the day you believe. And you may say, this is good. I like this idea of, you know, this picture you kind of painted here. And you should read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, because it gets even more expanded and blown out and better. But you're thinking, yeah, but that's so far in the future. Like, I can barely make it through the week. I hear what you're saying about hope for eternity. But preacher, what hope do I have for today? What hope do I have for now? When life is dark and when it hurts and when there is sorrow and suffering. The resurrection indeed, I think, gives us hope and shapes our habits for life today, for now. The resurrection gives hope because salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is by grace alone, and that's reason for hope. There's only two ways I know of that you can reconcile your record before God. That is, you do the moral accounting for the universe, if you will. The creator is going to put all things right. The accounts are going to be settled. Only two ways I know to settle that. By karma or by grace. What is karma? Karma says if you're good, you're rewarded. If you're bad, you're punished and you've got to work off your debt. Right? That's karma. And it's played out in long lines and through many lives. Or there's grace. Grace is when you get something good that you don't deserve and you don't have to repay it. And in fact, you wouldn't even be able to repay it. It's simply a gift. Two contrary ideas to settle accounts. One is the one who's settling the accounts can say, okay, you have a free gift. It's grace and it's all gone. Your account's forgiven. You're clean. The other one is, I promise I'll do better. I'll work harder in my next life. I'll try to make it. I can change. Those are the two ways. One of my favorite rock bands, U2, has a song called Grace. Part of the uh, words say this. Grace, she takes the blame. She covers the shame. She removes the stain. She travels outside of karma. You see what the rock band is saying? The, who the guy wants rock and roll in Guinness? Like, he, he, you too, like, right? I mean, come on. So what they're saying is grace is different from karma. It travels outside of that. It's not the same thing. It's totally different. And because of that, it gives great hope. Look at verse 22 with me. Let's look at this salvation by grace. Here he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And what he is saying here, he's referring to Adam as in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis at the very beginning of the Bible. Remember what happened there at the very beginning in the Garden? God makes Adam and Eve and says, Okay, live in this Garden. Here's the conditions for living in the Garden. Karma. Those are the conditions. Obey perfectly. You can live in the garden forever. Disobey by eating of that tree, and you suffer the consequences. And what Paul is saying is, in Adam, all die. We all inherit Adam's guilt for the human race. He represents us all. It's guilt by association. We're all guilty. Now, you may not like that. If I'm being honest, I don't like it either. I think that's kind of unfair. But guess what? The nature of grace is not toward fairness. It's toward unfairness. It's toward freedom, giftedness. 
And so what he goes on to say is that, but in Christ, all will be made alive. So again, he's giving you an association. If you associate with Christ, you get grace. All accounts, reconciled, forgiven, you're free, as we sang today, it is finished. And that's not fair either. But at least what Scripture tells us is honest and it cuts both ways. You get the guilt of Adam, but you get the glory of Christ. Neither one you deserved. Of course, we do contribute to our own accounts by sinning and having to settle that before God, but Christ covers our sins. And that's why in verse 17, Paul says, look, if the resurrection is not true, you're still in your sins. Notice what he says. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In other words, the implication that Paul is saying here is if, <clears throat> if Jesus actually was raised, the payment for sins is good. Your debt is forgiven. It's finished. Christianity is the only religion of grace like this. It's hope for all because all have failed and all fall short of the glory of God. If Easter for you is simply a day in which you try to convince yourself you'll wear some pastel-colored clothing, something bright, maybe something cheery, give yourself a little pep talk, pat on the back. Okay, it's good. We're good. Let's go. If it's simply a pep talk for you, you're missing the point. Because what you need is not just some new information and a new pep talk. What you need is new life. Life transformation. What you need when you're in dark places is to be able to walk out of the tomb. And that's what Jesus is saying. He did and he gives you. It's not too late for you to put your faith in Jesus. The thief on the cross did it right before he died. Right? There's two thieves crucified with Jesus, one on each side. One mocks him. The other says, I don't know, you don't deserve this. Will you remember me when you go to heaven? And he says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to change his ways then. He just believed. I was encouraged from a letter that, um, from a report that I got from a man in our church who was encouraged from a letter that I sent to be praying for people. Um, and Carl, one of our deacons, was praying for a neighbor to trust Jesus. And, he, and then he reported that he, he got discouraged because the neighbor got sick and died. And Carl felt he should have done more. But later, the widow of the man told Carl that her husband had asked him to tell her about her faith, which she had practiced for decades. And she told him. And he said, I am ready to believe. So they prayed. He confessed his sin, asked Jesus to be his Savior, and received him as Savior. He died the next day. But he was also welcomed welcomed into the throne room of his Savior because the hope of the resurrection is reality. Grace is not what you get after turning your life around. The thief on the cross didn't have a chance. This man I just told you about didn't have a chance. Grace is what you get simply because you don't deserve it and Jesus delights in giving it to you. And it's when you get it that it actually starts to change your life. It's not too late for you to turn to Jesus. Well, it's not too soon either. Turn to Jesus today. Make Easter 2022 your spiritual birthday. 
Ask Jesus to be your Savior today. The resurrection hope gives you hope because salvation is by grace. And the resurrection hope also shapes your habits by grace. Verse 9 tells us that Paul was changed from a persecutor of Jesus to an ambassador for Jesus. Notice what he writes here. For I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You remember what he did, right? He killed people. In in prison, people jailed them and killed people who, who were followers of Jesus. But Paul then, he's saying, look, I don't even deserve this. But now he goes on and he tells everybody about Jesus because the grace of God has changed his life and shaped his habits. Again, we go back to karma and grace, right? If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you're living by karma, you're going to focus your attention on yourself, your acceptance, your identity. All will be pointed to you. How am I doing? What am I doing? You're measuring against that all the time. You keep score with everyone else. You hold grudges. You get bitter. You get revenge. You're hard on yourself. You feel like a failure. You feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And it's because you are. You're trying to operate by karma. But in grace, it focuses your attention, your acceptance, your identity. It focuses it on Jesus, on the one who gives grace to the world. It takes your eyes off of you and says, it isn't all about me. It's about Jesus and he's glorious. Look at what he's done. Lived the perfect life in my place, died the death that I deserve, and then rose victoriously over death. I get to have that too. Grace captures you. It frees you to extend grace instead of to hold grudges. It forgives instead of getting even. When you've fallen into temptation or addiction, grace meets you there. I once heard someone say that someone had told them, I'm at the the end of my rope, can't go anymore. And he told the person, he said, you know, because of Jesus' grace, his office is at the end of the rope. It's where he meets you. He comes down to you. He meets you right where you are. In this moment, in this hour, in the suffering you had to face, the pain that you know was coming this week, He comes down, and by his grace, he meets you in that place. When you battle chronic or terminal illness, the grace of Jesus is what carries you. He's your hope. Look at me, look at verse 34 with me. Grace empowers us to live for Jesus Verse 34, this is right at the end. We didn't read this, but Paul says to the Christians in Corinth, the church there, who are, who are kind of acting like the resurrection doesn't exist. He's saying, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. What he is saying to them, he's saying is, you're walking around as if you're drunk, not understanding anything, and as if you don't believe the resurrection is true. You're living as if you have no resurrection power. You're living as if the grace of God has no efficacy, that it doesn't affect you or doesn't change you. And he's saying it does. Because Jesus is alive, people. And he's got power to change you. Too often, I think, Christians live as if there is no no resurrection, as as if God's grace has no power. We eat, drink, we party, we be merry, and we're like, okay, on to the next thing. 
We turn to other functional saviors, to idols. That we've talked about that for like the past month. You could listen to some of those sermons that, that we cling to, to be God's for us, functional saviors. It's as if we act like we will never enjoy food or fine wine again or see a beautiful world. It's as if we think heaven will be sitting in the pews of a cathedral forever. And Paul's saying, stop the nonsense. That's not what heaven's like. It's a resurrected body, a new heaven and a new earth that is paradise restored. You are not safe to boredom, to responding in some virtual reality. Enjoyment, he is saying, is not wrong now, but it's dull. It's only a foretaste of what is to come. What he's saying is, he's not saying don't eat, don't drink, be merry. He's saying do that for the glory of God, recognizing there's a far greater feast coming. When you go and you celebrate your meals today, feast with joy. But not simply for the food that is before you, but because you know you will live and eat again in heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding banquet, the feast that is to come. Let me give you a couple of takeaways and wrap up here. If you're not a Christian today, if you're curious, maybe you're skeptical, you're just not sure, it's new to you, whatever it may be, I want to challenge you to think about Jesus, whether you think he's myth or whatever you think, historical facts showed he lived, okay? I want to encourage you to think about that and explain Jesus. How do you explain the empty tomb? Think about that. How do you explain why followers would die for something that they knew was a lie? Why would do that? Like, just call time out and save yourself. Like, yeah, we made it up. Explain why so many people in the first hundred years after Jesus' death became, became convinced, absolutely convinced that the resurrection is true. Because it's unique. There was lots of Messiah types who came to Israel in the centuries prior to Jesus. Even 50 years, 100 years, 130 years before Jesus, there was, and you can read about them, there's books about this, the Maccabean revolts. There's leaders that raise, rise up and say, we're here to rescue Israel, and they fight against Rome. They lose. They get crucified, and you know what happens to the movement? Gone. Dead. The leader dies, the movement dies. Why, when Jesus dies, does the movement not die? Because they're convinced that he came back to life. And then explain how you get to a good afterlife. If you're a Christian, many of you today, rejoicing, what are your takeaways? For some of you, you might be like, I know, I heard this in Sunday school before, and... Yeah, I know. There's a resurrection. Ho-hum. Yeah. Is your hope really in that new life that Jesus offers or in the newest thing that grabs your attention? Maybe you're struggling and just trying to say, I'm just trying to make it through life. I feel like I take two steps forward and three steps backwards. Welcome to the club. But that doesn't mean that you give up? Are your habits shaped by the grace of Jesus who loves you, who has reconciled you to himself, who delights in you, who rejoices over you? 
Do you act like you have the power, living resurrection power to say no to sin? Is your identity, is your life defined by success and failure? Or is it defined by the amazing grace of Jesus? I like golf. Many of you know that. Last week was the Masters, one of the majors during the golf year. And, and um, the 2022 Masters champion is Scotty Scheffler at 25 years old last week. He admitted in his, uh, his press conference afterwards that he was super stressed out the night before, like having a breakdown, like uh, just in tears. And like he, he had the lead going into the final day. The weight of it was on his shoulders. Like, what am I going to do? And he credited, credited his wife, Meredith, with reminding him, saying, hey, God's in control, Scotty. He's leading you. And if today's your time, it's your time. If it's not, it's not. He was asked how he handled the pressure on tour, and he said this, quote, It all goes back to my faith. The reason why I play golf is that I'm trying to glorify God and all that he has done in my life. So for me, my identity is not in a golf score. Like Meredith told me this morning, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament, again, she goes, I'm still going to love you. You're still going to be the same person. Do you see how grace shapes an identity there and shapes habits? Your successes and failures in life don't define you. The love of God in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior, is what defines you. Christians, remember that today. Celebrate that. Sing of it. Speak of it. Walk in it. The resurrection gives you hope for eternity and shapes your habits today. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you will help us to live with such resurrection hope. Help us to be celebratory, excited, not because of us, but because of you and everything that you've done for us, even as we have worshipped this day. We pray that you will give hope to those who are struggling, give courage to those who have to take the next step of faith. For those who are walking in darkness, Lord, give them the light of hope to shine on them. Lord, with hard times and hard decisions, hard circumstances, will you strengthen us by the resurrection power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.